At the crest of the ridge, Benson stopped for an instant, glancing first at his wristwatch and then back over his shoulder. It was 0539. The barrage was due in eleven minutes, at the spot where he was now standing. Behind, on the long northeast slope, he could see the columns of black oil smoke rising from what had been the pan-Soviet advanced supply dump. There was a great deal of firing going on back there. He wondered if the commies had managed to corner a few of his men after the patrol had accomplished its mission and scattered, or if a couple of communist units were shooting each other up in mutual mistaken identity. The result would be about the same in either case. Reserve units would be disorganized, and some men would have been pulled back from the front line. His dozen-odd UN regulars and Turkish partisans had done their best to simulate a paratroop attack in force. At least his job was done, now to execute that classic infantry maneuver described as, Let's get the hell out of here. This was his last patrol before rotation home. He didn't want anything unfortunate to happen. There was a little ravine to the left. The stream which had cut it in the steep southern slope of the ridge would be dry at this time of year, and he could make better time and find protection in it from any chance shots when the introductory barrage started. He hurried toward it and followed it down to the valley that would lead toward the front, the thinly held section of the communist lines and the UN lines beyond, where fresh troops were waiting to jump from their holes and begin the attack. There was something wrong about this ravine, though. At first it was only a vague presentiment, growing stronger as he followed the dry gully down to the valley below. Something he had smelled or heard or seen without conscious recognition. Then, in the dry sand, where the ravine debouched into the valley, he saw faint tank tracks, only one pair. There was something wrong about the vines that mantled one side of the ravine, too. An instant later he was diving to the right, breaking his fall with the butt of his auto-carbine, rolling rapidly toward the cover of a rock, and as he did so, the thinking part of his mind recognized what was wrong. The tank tracks had ended against the vine-grown side of the ravine. What he had smelled had been lubricating oil and petrol, and the leaves on some of the vines hung upside down. Almost at once, from behind the vines, a tank's machine-guns snarled at him, clipping the place where he had been standing, then shifting to rage against the sheltering rock. With a sudden motor roar, the muzzle of a long tank-gun pushed out through the vines, and then the low body of a tank with a red star on the turret came rumbling out of the camouflaged bay. The machine-guns kept him pinned behind the rock, the tank swerved ever so slightly, so that its wide left tread was aimed directly at him, then picked up speed. Aren't even going to waste a shell on me, he thought. Futilely, he let go a clip from his carbine, trying to hit one of the vision slits, then rolled to one side, dropped out the clip, slapped in another. There was a shimmering blue mist around him. If he only hadn't used his last grenade back there at the supply dump. The strange blue mist became a flickering radiance that ran through all the colors of the spectrum and became an utter, impenetrable blackness. There were voices in the blackness, 
and a softness under him, but under his back, when he had been lying on his stomach, as though he were now on a comfortable bed. They got me alive, he thought. Now comes the brainwashing. He cracked one eye open imperceptibly. Lights, white and glaring, from a ceiling far above, walls as white as the lights. Without moving his head, he opened both eyes and shifted them from right to left. Vaguely he could see people, and behind them, machines so simply designed that their functions were unguessable. He sat up and looked around groggily.